This is the Roast and Reason podcast. Join your host, Andrew Boyer, as we explore the world of specialty coffee. So grab a cup of your favorite coffee and let's dive in. Welcome to Roast and Reason. everybody welcome to part four of the roast and reason podcast series exploring coffee and your health today's episode is going to be on the impact of coffee on brain health or mental health and when i say mental health or mental illness i don't mean what we commonly think of as mental illness something that you would go see a psychologist for I mean brain diseases. So the big three that we're going to talk about today are depression, Alzheimer's disease, and Parkinson's disease. In the most recent episode of the podcast, we talked about coffee and caffeine's impact on mental performance. And today we're going to talk about mental health. And we've known about the effect that coffee has had on mental performance for a long, long time now. But what about on brain diseases or neurological diseases? There's some really fascinating data coming out of research exploring coffee's impact on some major brain diseases. And again, there's three big ones that we'll talk about today, and those are depression, Alzheimer's disease, and Parkinson's disease. There's also stroke. And so stroke, we're not going to talk about much today because stroke really isn't a brain disease. It's really a blood vessel or cardiovascular disease of the blood vessels supplying blood and oxygen to the brain. So I'm going to lump it with heart disease and cardiovascular disease that we're going to talk about next week on the podcast. But as a preview... A really large, powerful, recent study suggests that coffee drinkers have up to a 30% reduction in the risk of having a stroke compared to non-coffee drinkers. That is freaking major. Stroke has some very, very severe potential consequences. Um, And if coffee, if something as delicious and simple to consume as coffee can reduce our risk at all, much less 30%. That's huge. And really, coffee may end up being the cheapest and most delicious medication that we can possibly think of for some of these illnesses. And we aren't there yet. The data isn't strong enough yet to suggest that we can substitute the current medications that we use to treat these conditions with coffee alone. But there is some really interesting research, and we'll talk about that study related to stroke next week. But there's some really interesting research related to the three conditions that we're going to talk about today as well. And let's start with depression. Depression is a major health condition, and we're not talking about just having the blues here. We're talking about actual depression, which is an actual physiologic and biochemical disease of the brain. 
data from the CDC and the National Center for Health Statistics estimates that anywhere from 8 to 13% of Americans suffer from depression and take antidepressant medications. That's a huge number. And depression is expensive. It's expensive to treat. The cost of antidepressant medication can range from anywhere from $300 to $12,000 a year. But that's really just the tip of the iceberg when we talk about how much depression actually costs. Because when you factor in everything that depression impacts, right? It's not just the medications, but it's the medications, the doctor's visits, the hospitalizations, other treatment methods, but also it's non-medical things like reduced workplace productivity. Because if someone's depressed, they're not producing their best work in the workplace. And costs associated with depression-related suicide attempts. Think about all of that. It's not just medications. So when you factor all of that in, it's estimated that depression costs American society about $210 million a year. Very, very prevalent, large percent, large percentage of the American population suffers from this illness and it costs us a lot of money. If you suffer from depression, I am in no way suggesting that you stop your medication and up your coffee consumption. But there is evidence that coffee consumption has a significant measurable effect on depression. There's a large meta-analysis published in the Australian and New Zealand Journal of Psychiatry in 2016. And a meta-analysis is a specific type of research study where it basically lumps together multiple other previous research studies, does statistics on all of, all of their data, and comes out with a kind of broad conclusion um, factoring in all of that other data. So this 2016 meta-analysis showed a dose-dependent reduction risk of depression with coffee consumption. And so what does that mean? It means that researchers found an 8% decreased risk of developing depression for each and every cup of coffee you consume per day. So if you go from zero to one, 8% decreased risk. If you go from one to two, 8% decreased risk. So for each cup, you decreased your risk of depression. So let's talk about why this might be the case with coffee. And there are several likely mechanisms at play here. First, we've previously talked about how caffeine increases the neurotransmitter serotonin in the brain. And serotonin is the happy neurotransmitter. Caffeine also boosts the effects of dopamine, another neurotransmitter. And dopamine plays many roles in the brain. But a few important ones are it plays a role in decision-making, motivation, and reward. 
So if you put all of this together, so serotonin increases and serotonin is the happy neurotransmitter, dopamine increases, and that has to do with motivation, getting off your butt and doing something. And interestingly, two of the hallmarks of depression clinically are the lack of motivation and what's called anhedonia, which is the big fancy medical term for the inability to feel pleasure. So these chemical changes in the brain caused by caffeine may explain coffee's ability to to prevent us from developing depression because serotonin increases, so your ability to feel happy increases. Dopamine increases, so your motivation increases. There's yet another proposed mechanism, though, and this one takes us away from the direct effects of caffeine. The researchers who published this large meta-analysis that I mentioned a couple minutes ago have proposed that depression may not simply be a chemical imbalance in the brain. So it may not be as easy as saying serotonin levels are too low, right? That might be a component. But these researchers proposed that chronic inflammation leads to depression, or at least that's one of the mechanisms, So we've talked about chronic inflammation and oxidative stress in the episode about coffee and cancer. But to recap, most chronic inflammation in the body is related to a chemical reaction called oxidation, which is basically free radical generation. And free radicals are these chemicals that run around our body and cause chain reactions because they're unstable. So they run around and react to everything. And the things that they react with are proteins and DNA and cell walls. They're important structures in our cells. And so for our cells and our body and our tissues to work normally, they need healthy molecules. They need healthy DNA and healthy protein. And these free radicals damage those compounds. And so antioxidants are chemicals that help prevent this oxidation process. Coffee has a huge number of these antioxidants. So this is kind of the same mechanism that we talked about with coffee and cancer. And it's the same mechanism that we'll go back to or come back to next week when we talk about coffee and heart disease, because a lot of heart disease has to do with chronic inflammation of the blood vessels. The major antioxidant in coffee is something that's called a chlorogenic acid. So you may see this abbreviated CGA. In fact, coffee has the highest concentration of CGA of any species of plant in the world. But there are a ton of other antioxidants that are found in coffee as well. Things like nicotinic acid, uh, tannic acid, pyrogallic acid, and on and on and on and on, really long, complicated sounding words. We don't need to go into all of them. The basic idea here is that there are a ton of antioxidants in coffee, more than are found in red wine or even green tea. So this antioxidant and anti-inflammatory effect may further explain coffee's antidepressant effect.
And as I mentioned, it's probably the same mechanism that explains coffee's effect on cancer and heart disease and other brain diseases like Alzheimer's disease. One thing to mention, I didn't really find much in the way of evidence that coffee was able to reverse depression once it's developed. So the research is out there that drinking coffee decreases your risk of depression. But if you are in a major depressive episode to the point where you need to be heavily medicated or hospitalized, coffee's not going to get you out of that. At least that's, I have not seen any evidence that points to that. So I mentioned Alzheimer's disease. Let's, let's go right into our discussion about Alzheimer's disease. And so you hear a lot of this disease, but, but what is it? Like basically, what is Alzheimer's disease? It's a progressive brain disease, and it's a specific type of dementia with problems with memory, thinking, and behavior. And it's progressive, so these problems worsen over time until the patient becomes unable to care for themselves. So advanced stage Alzheimer's patients have very poor memory. They frequently do not recognize the people in their lives, such as their family members or their caretakers. They don't, they don't recognize their surroundings. And they frequently become unable to care for themselves in their day-to-day living. And it's estimated that about 5.7 million Americans suffer from Alzheimer's disease today in the year 2018. That number is supposed to jump all the way to 14 million by 2050. So this disease is not going away anytime soon. And it's currently the sixth leading cause of death in America. So the symptoms persist and they eventually get to the point where Alzheimer's disease does in fact lead to death. There are some treatments available, but they really just slow the progression down slightly. There's really no cure once you're diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And current research on Alzheimer's and coffee consumption is fascinating and actually really encouraging. So the data shows that coffee consumption decreases the risk for developing Alzheimer's disease. Let let me repeat that. Research, scientific research shows that coffee consumption is associated with decreased risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. These preventative effects even apply to elderly adults who have shown early signs of mild, mild cognitive impairment. So even in elderly people who are starting to experience memory issues but don't have the full-on effects of Alzheimer's yet, these effects help those people, as, or this, these effects of coffee help slow down those effects as well. So... In one study, they compared elderly coffee drinkers to non-coffee drinkers, and all of these people had mild cognitive impairment. The coffee drinkers either didn't convert to Alzheimer's disease and just had mild 
memory issues but did not develop the full-blown disease, or at least experienced a significant delay before developing full-blown Alzheimer's disease. That research is really important because once you're diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, there's no cure, and it is such a debilitating disease. And again, if something as simple and delicious and low risk as drinking coffee can help us prevent this terrible disease, that's a really big deal. So there are a couple mechanisms at play here. First, like many diseases, inflammation plays a very large role in developing Alzheimer's disease. The major hallmark of Alzheimer's at the, at the molecular level are what are called beta amyloid plaques, which form at least in part based on, you guessed it, inflammation. And the antioxidants in coffee decrease inflammation, thereby reducing the buildup of these beta amyloid plaques. Along with beta amyloid plaque, there's another chemical compound that is very closely associated with Alzheimer's disease, and that's called tau protein. The buildup of tau protein and tau tangles, which are basically tangles or clumps of this tau protein, can kill brain cells. And so this is what really leads to the cognitive decline or the progressive features of Alzheimer's disease. As the disease progresses, more and more and more tau protein and tau tangles are created and that kills the brain cells more and more and more, leading to the cognitive decline and progressive features of Alzheimer's disease. Tau proteins form from inflammation, but also from abnormal and increased signaling in adenosine in the brain. And we talked in last week's episode that the major impact that caffeine has on the brain and how it affects most of our mental performance is by blocking the adenosine receptors and thus blocking adenosine function of the brain. And so in addition to keeping us more alert and awake by blocking adenosine, it's, est it's speculated that by blocking adenosine, it also decreases this tau protein production and entanglement and thus slows down the progression of Alzheimer's disease. And there's one last major mechanism. Alzheimer's is sometimes referred to as diabetes of the brain. It's estimated that 70% of patients with type 2 diabetes will go on to develop Alzheimer's disease. So there is clearly a connection here. Studies show that coffee consumption decreases the risk by about 11 to 33% in developing diabetes. So people that drink coffee have a lower risk of developing type 2 diabetes. We'll talk more about this mechanism when we talk about diabetes, but that is a mechanism and a proposed way that coffee decreases the risk 
of developing Alzheimer's disease. So to sum it all up, data on coffee and Alzheimer's disease, here's, here's what the data shows. Coffee prevents or decreases, slows down Alzheimer's disease by decreasing inflammation in the brain and by decreasing the underlying chemical changes that cause brain cell death and cognitive decline that are associated with progressive Alzheimer's disease. Let's talk about the third disease, and this is a little less common than Alzheimer's, but it is still a major brain disease, and that is Parkinson's disease. This is a slowly progressive neurodegenerative disorder that affects the brain, and specifically brain cells that produce the neurotransmitter dopamine in a specific location in the brain called the substantia nigra. And you don't need to know that location of the brain, but those are the cells that die off in Parkinson's disease. This disease affects about a million Americans. And early in the disease, the symptoms are mostly related to movement. So shaking, rigid movements, slowness to movement, difficulty walking. Those are the early signs of Parkinson's. But as the disease progresses, behavior problems and cognitive decline and dementia eventually do manifest. The cause of Parkinson's isn't really well understood. We do know that there are genetic factors and environmental factors like prior head trauma, exposure to certain pesticides and chemicals, uh, and yes, chronic inflammation has been speculated to be a causative agent related to Parkinson's. There's currently no cure. Uh, medications are available. They're used to decrease the symptoms. But as the disease progresses, these medications become less effective. So let's go to the research and let's examine what the current research tells us about coffee and Parkinson's. And preliminary research, research that came out several years ago, was actually really, really promising. The, the issue with a lot of this coffee-related research is that it's observational research. And we talked about observational versus interventional research previously. There are very few randomized controlled trials, which is the gold standard and the type of research that you need in order to prove causation rather than correlation. But for whatever reason, there are several randomized controlled trials studying coffee and Parkinson's. The, the first major one came out in 2012, and it was a randomized controlled trial it compared coffee consumption to a placebo. And it basically showed that the equivalent of three to five cups of coffee a day significantly reduced the movement symptoms of Parkinson's patients. So we're not talking about disease prevention here. These are people who have already been diagnosed. And if you start people who have been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease on either a caffeine pill or have them drink 
three to five cups of coffee a day, this study showed a significant improvement in their movement symptoms. That's major. Unfortunately, these results only seem to last about six months. So all of that really exciting data about that first study, those same researchers repeated a study several years later and published it in 2017. And instead of measuring these effects for the first several months, they had the same treatment protocol, coffee versus no coffee, in patients who were diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And they measured the outcomes all the way out to 18 months. So coffee's benefit with the movement symptoms in Parkinson's disease really only lasted the first six months. And after that, there was no difference between the two groups. So coffee and caffeine seem to give a short-term benefit to Parkinson's patients, but no long-term effects appear to be present. However, the money may lie in preventing Parkinson's disease. Again, we don't know the exact mechanism of how this disease is caused. But one of the major ideas and thoughts about why and how it's caused has to do with chronic inflammation. It's a chronic progressive neurologic disease, uh, and one of the proposed mechanisms is chronic inflammation within the brain. And studies have actually found that coffee consumption is associated with a decreased risk of Parkinson's disease. And in fact, it's pretty significant. It's about a 50% risk reduction in developing Parkinson's disease. So that's major. So in summary, when we look at the data on coffee consumption and Parkinson's disease, in patients who are already diagnosed and who already suffer from Parkinson's disease, Coffee consumption may reduce movement symptoms, but only for about the first six months. But research shows that drinking coffee is associated with a significant risk reduction in developing Parkinson's disease. So let's summarize and let's put all of this together. Research on coffee consumption and brain diseases shows us that coffee drinkers have a reduced risk of developing depression, Alzheimer's disease, and Parkinson's disease. I will take those results any day of the freaking week. The major effects related to these health conditions likely has to do with the large number of antioxidants in coffee. And those lead to decreased chronic inflammation and oxidative stress, which are responsible for forming these diseases, many others, and are responsible in the aging process itself. However, the effects of caffeine itself on the chemical makeup of the brain may also play a role in fighting depression by increasing our serotonin levels and increasing our dopamine levels.
So there you have it. There's really no evidence out there that drinking coffee causes any of these brain diseases. And there's pretty substantial evidence out there that it helps prevent the vast majority of them. So thanks a lot for joining me for this episode. On the next episode, we're going to talk about coffee consumption and diabetes and heart health and stroke. So I will see all of you guys next week. Take care, everybody. See you then.